Welcome to our weekend podcast. If you're a guest with us this weekend, if it's your first time listening in, uh, my name is Craig Chapel, and I am blessed to serve on staff as the senior pastor here at OCC. Well, today I'm really excited because we're beginning a new message series called The Controversial Jesus. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus did some pretty amazing things that are only possible with God. Like the time he multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish to feed over 5,000 people. Or what about the countless miracles that he performed, like turning water into wine, healing the blind, the lame, and even raising the dead. When we read about these amazing accounts, it's easy to be inspired and motivated in our faith because of who Jesus is. There are also passages of scripture that we tend to pass over because we don't like or understand what we read about Jesus. We see Jesus saying something that makes us feel uncomfortable or doing something that's not considered to be socially acceptable. When you read through the Gospels, it's easy to see that there's a controversial side to Jesus' life and ministry. In this series, we're going to focus in on four passages of Scripture that all highlight something controversial that Jesus either said or did. But as we'll see, everything that Jesus said or did was always good. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be challenged to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus. We'll also see how the controversial side to Jesus' life and ministry can help shape our daily lives as we walk with Christ. Well, there are two passages of Scripture that I'd like for us to read this morning. The first is found in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. So if you have a physical Bible with you this morning, or if you're following along on the YouVersion Bible app, uh, go ahead and flip over to Jeremiah chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 11. The second passage is going to be found in the New Testament Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. So we'll start with Jeremiah 7, and then we'll jump over to Mark 11. Jeremiah 7, beginning in verse 1. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering. And only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land That I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours, and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, We are safe, only to go right back to all those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on here. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
Then let's turn over to the New Testament, book of Mark, chapter 11. Uh, We'll read verses 15 through 18. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him, but they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. I heard a story this past week about a woman who called into her local radio station to share about a terrible experience that she had had at the Birmingham International Airport. Incredibly frustrated, she told the radio hosts and listeners about how she was traveling through the airport with all of her belongings neatly packed away when she arrived at the airport's security point. Now, nobody likes to stand in these long lines. If you've been to the airport, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, what made matters worse for her was apparently... She wasn't using the right kind of clear plastic bags for all of her toiletries. She explained to the security workers that she did, in fact, have all of her toiletries packed in clear plastic bags. Well, she soon found out that her plastic bags were not the specific clear plastic bags that the airport wanted people to use. But there's good news. Are you ready for it? Instead, the airport would sell her the correct bags, forget this, One dollar (laughs) each. What a bargain, right? As she was talking to the radio host, it was clear that she was extremely frustrated at this entire ordeal. She actually said, I believe that these people were involved in financial skullduggery. (laughs) Those were her words. I've never heard that word before or used the word skullduggery. She went on to say that something needed to be done to fix such a broken system. You know, friends, any kind of injustice like this, and I think this is certainly a kind of injustice, um, is enough to bring out anger and frustration in any one of us, and understandably so. In fact, you don't have to go to Birmingham International Airport to come across something like this. I'm sure many of you have dealt with things like this in your own life. I, I don't know why, but one of the first things that comes to mind is paying $8 for a corn dog at the fair. Uh, That seems a little like financial skullduggery to me. (laughs) Well, it was this kind of skullduggery that Jesus encountered when he arrived in Jerusalem and went into the temple. Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem with his disciples during the Passover season. Um, Thousands of Jews from all over would have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. It's estimated that the population of Jerusalem would more than triple because of the amount of people that traveled there during this time. The Roman military even had to be on special alert because of the possibility of violence and rioting. There was just that many people. And with a crowd this size, there was always the potential for disputes and disagreements among the various Jewish religious groups. So it's into this situation that Jesus arrived in Jerusalem for the final time before he would be crucified outside the city walls, not even a week later. Jesus had cleansed the temple once before, during his first Passover visit at the beginning of his earthly ministry, but the results had been temporary. Um, We read about this account in John chapter 2. After this first visit, 
It wasn't long before the religious leaders gave the green light for all the money changers and merchants to come back into the temple and start back up again. Now, the account that we're reading today, the second time he cleanses the temple, also shows up in Matthew chapter 21 and Luke 19. Now, I have to admit, I've been guilty of reading this story too quickly in the past or passing over it altogether because on the surface, it doesn't seem to be a real cheery or happy kind of story. It's a memorable passage of Scripture for sure, but it's often misunderstood and consequently misapplied. Well, I'd like to share two truths with you today that will help all of us understand what's happening in this passage And then I want to share a few questions for application at the end that, again, will help all of us correctly apply these truths to our lives. So if you're taking notes today, the first point, the first truth that I'd like to share is this, that when sin inhabits, exploitation is discovered. When sin inhabits, exploitation is discovered. If we go back and look at the verses leading up to today's passage, we learn that Jesus had already gone into the temple on the previous day. God's word tells us that he looked around carefully at everything that was going on, and then he decided to leave because it was getting late. Now, we're not given a lot of detail about this initial visit, but it's safe to say that Jesus did not like what he saw because he decides to go back the very next morning. Exploitation is what Jesus discovered when he went into the temple. If we go back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 7, Isaiah tells us that the temple was designed to be a house of prayer for the nations. But here, it had been turned into a market and a platform for exploiting people. It had become something that it was never meant to be. You see, the religious leaders had allowed money changers and merchants to set up shop in the temple This was initially meant to be a kind of service to all of the Jewish families who traveled such a long distance to come to Jerusalem for worship. You know, if you traveled from a different city, it's likely that you'd have to exchange your money for the proper currency once you arrived in Jerusalem. And selling animals in the temple for sacrifice was also meant to be a kind of convenience for those who had to travel such a long way. Well, what started out as a convenience... It didn't stay that way for long. Now, most commentators agree that this market had been set up in a portion of the temple called the Court of the Gentiles. This was a portion of the temple where Jews were encouraged to share their faith and to pray with Gentiles. But instead, they ended up taking advantage of everyone who came into the temple for worship. They took advantage of the rich, the poor, the young, and the old. I think this is just one more example of one group, specifically the Jews at this point, misunderstanding the good news of the gospel, misunderstanding that the gospel is for everyone, not just for one group of people. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. His instruction to us is to preach the good news to everyone, not just one people group or one club. (laughs) The gospel is for everyone. So where the Jews should have been telling the Gentiles about the one true God and praying with them, they ended up turning the temple into a den of thieves to pray on them. Alistair Begg, he's one of my favorite preachers, he points out that where there should have been dignity, 
there was dishonesty. And where there should have been honor, there was hypocrisy. You know, the Jewish religious leaders found out that they could make a profit by exploiting people. They did so, and then they just called it a service or a ministry. What we see in this scene is a major, major problem. It's the same kind of plastic bag problem that was taking place at the airport. Now, when we do a little more digging, we learn that inspectors were often hired or appointed to examine the animals that were brought into the temple for the offering of sacrifice. These inspectors would charge an inspection fee. And then once the inspection fee had been paid and the inspection had been carried out, they would say something like this. You know, I'm sorry, but this dove just doesn't qualify. Or I'm sorry, this pigeon just doesn't qualify for the offering of sacrifice. It's kind of like they were saying, you know, I see that you have a plastic bag, but it's the wrong plastic bag. I see that you have a dove, but it's the wrong dove. I see that you have a pigeon, but I'm sorry to say it's the wrong pigeon. But just like the woman's incident at the airport, these inspectors, they would always have some good news. Are you ready for it? You see, it just so happened that they had the right doves and the right pigeons for sale in the temple. I mean, again, how convenient is that? So where someone's animal might have cost them a quarter in the street somewhere, the temple animals would only cost a dollar. I mean, what a great deal, right? The people, they were essentially trapped by these inspectors. And to make matters worse, the money changers were doing the exact same thing. You see, they would only accept a specific type of currency, So if you came in with Greek or Roman currency, they would cheat you on the exchange rate. They would profit off of this exchange. The religious leaders, they were exploiting people. They ended up profiting in two ways, the purchase of animals and the exchange of money. So you take a step back, and it's easy to see why Jesus didn't like what he was seeing. And that's why I wanted to begin our time by reading from Jeremiah chapter 7. You see, the Old Testament prophet warned against this kind of thing more than 600 years before the time of Christ. Apparently, this was happening in his day. Apparently, this wasn't something new. Sin had inhabited these people, and the result was exploitation. The result was greed, stealing, and lying. Everything they were warned about. Can you imagine for a moment what a Gentile must have thought when they visited the temple and saw what the Jews were doing in the name of the true God. I can't imagine that this experience would have been positive for anyone. So Jesus goes into the temple. What does he discover? He discovers exploitation. So he decides to respond, and he decides to respond with restoration. That leads us to our second point, that when sin inhabits, restoration is needed. When sin inhabits, restoration is needed. Look with me to Mark chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. Mark wrote that when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. You know, this passage certainly highlights the controversial side of Jesus' life and ministry. But I think it's only controversial because Jesus' actions are often misunderstood. This passage is misunderstood because we see Jesus angry here. And maybe we're tempted to think that Jesus should never be angry like this, right? 
I want you to understand something, that anger is not always bad. Anger is not always sinful. It certainly wasn't sinful in this case. There's a difference between sinful anger and what we call righteous anger. Let me give you a couple of examples. Sinful anger doesn't honor God. It takes root in our lives and takes over our lives. Sinful anger alienates us from God and does not move us toward acts of faith and love. Instead, it moves us toward acts of selfishness, rudeness, and bitterness. Sinful anger is focused on self-pity and revenge instead of godly grief over sin and evil. Righteous anger, on the other hand, does honor God. It does not take root in our lives and completely take over our lives. It draws us closer to God and moves us toward acts of faith and love. In righteous anger, we actually join God in anger over evil. It's an anger that we feel with God. It's being angry at the right things. You know, this passage is often misunderstood because we misunderstand the difference between sinful and righteous anger. In turning over the tables of the money changers, And driving out the people and the animals, Jesus was exposing the sins of the religious leaders and restoring the temple back to its original purpose. And to defend what he was doing, Jesus quoted two scriptures from the Old Testament, Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. The Jewish religious leaders looked at the temple primarily as a place of sacrifice. It was all about the rules and the regulations for them. But Jesus saw it as a place of prayer. David wrote in the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 141, he reminds us that true prayer is a sacrifice to God. I love these verses in Psalm 141, uh, verses 1 and 2. David wrote, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So Jesus had the correct view of the Jewish religion. He had a spiritual view. While the religious leaders were more concerned about the rules and regulations, they were more concerned about promoting their own name and growing their own bank account. Well, Jesus accused them of turning the temple into a den of thieves. That's exactly what had happened. It was 20th century British preacher uh, Campbell Morgan who pointed out that a den of thieves is the place to which thieves run when they want to hide. The religious leaders were using the temple to cover up their sin and hypocrisy. What a reminder for all of us today that if you have to try and hide or rationalize your behavior, you're probably in the wrong Let me say that one more time. If you have to try and hide or rationalize your behavior, you're probably in the wrong. What these people were doing in the temple completely went against what God had mandated in the Old Testament. So in response, Jesus decides to intervene. He intervenes in order to restore. Jesus acts quickly. He acts radically and forcefully to restore what was broken and to point people back to the truth. To point people back to God. 22 years ago, my grandma found out that she had stage 4 ovarian cancer. She was told by a number of doctors that there was no hope. And the best they could do was to figure out how to prolong her life. My grandma weighs about 100 pounds soaking wet. She's a pretty small person. But she wasn't going to take this response as an option. 
So what did she do? Well, she decided to find a doctor who was a man of faith and who would promise to work tirelessly to fight the cancer that was attacking her body. And that's exactly what she did. Her, her doctor worked quickly, radically, and forcefully to remove the cancer. And by God's grace, they were successful. Doctors worked for the well-being and restoration of their patient. And today, my grandma has been cancer-free for more than two decades. And this truly is a miracle. Jesus recognized the cancer that was spreading in the temple. So what did he do? Well, he stepped in to restore He stepped in and he said, this is not right. What's happening here isn't right. Jesus acted to restore what was broken. He stepped in to clean house. It's interesting to me that the religious leaders didn't actually challenge Jesus' actions. I think they didn't challenge his actions because they themselves lacked dignity and honesty in their own lives. Instead, they tried to challenge his authority. Mark 15, verse 18 says, When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. I'd like for us to listen to John's version of this interaction as well. So if we jump over to the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 18, this is what we read. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. So these individuals, they were afraid of Jesus, and they were worried that he would challenge their authority. So what did they do? Well, they asked Jesus to do a miraculous sign to prove that his authority truly came from God. Now listen to how Jesus responds to their demands. I think this is key to understanding and applying this passage to our lives. John chapter 2, verse 19 All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So it's obvious that these religious leaders had no idea what to do with this kind of response from Jesus. In fact, this is a pattern that we see all throughout the Gospels. People often ask the question, in whose authority does he do these things? This kind of reminds me of the time when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, and the disciples responded by saying, who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. See, what Jesus did that day in the temple um, is certainly memorable. It's often misunderstood and almost always misapplied. This story seems a little dramatic and maybe even dangerous. But what I hope you see today is this. Yes, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to cleanse the temple, to expose sin and to restore what was broken. But he also rode into Jerusalem to cleanse and restore our hearts. The religious leaders, they asked for a sign so Jesus could prove his authority. Well, friends, what better sign is there than the bread and the juice located at each one of the communion tables that we have in our auditorium on Sunday morning? The bread represents his body that was broken for you. And the juice represents his blood that was shed for you. See, Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and rode into Jerusalem to ultimately go to the cross where he would die, be buried, and then be raised from the dead after three days, defeating sin, Satan, and death, and offering a way for all people to be reconciled to God, to have a restored relationship with God. I'd like for us to wrap this story up by reading from John chapter 2, Verses 19 through 22. 
This is what we read. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed? It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Friends, when sin inhabits, exploitation is discovered. That is always a result of sin. When sin inhabits, restoration is needed. And the only one who can completely restore, to restore in the right way, is Jesus. Now before we're quick to condemn the Jewish religious leaders for their sins and for how they misused the temple, I want to challenge all of us to examine our own lives and even our own ministries here at OCC. We need to do this to see if we're making merchandise of the gospel in any way, shape, or form. So I want to end our time by asking a few questions. And these are meant to be asked individually, but also by our ministry leaders and and all of us who are involved in various ministries throughout the church. Question number one, how do outsiders in our community view our church? Is, Is this viewed as a den of thieves or a house of prayer? Number two, Are all people welcome here? Or or do we intentionally or unintentionally exploit people and drive them away? Number three, do we as Christians come to church on Sundays in an attempt to cover up the sin in our lives, to, to hide from the sin in our lives? Or do we gather to worship and glorify God? And number four, if Jesus were physically here today, what changes do you think he would quickly, radically, and forcefully make.